And Lord, I pray for help now. Would you give me wisdom in your word and, and the right heart? And would you give all of us responsive spirits, Lord, to your word, that we would see this is the very words of God and that we would say yes and that you'd work in our hearts by your power through the spirit as we study this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I was thinking about this passage this morning, um, here's what I thought of. I, I thought of the fact that the God of the universe, who has created everything and who rules over everything, has revealed himself to us in a book. Just think about that. He's revealed himself to us in a book which has words, prepositions, adjectives, adverbs, subjects, predicates, okay? He's revealed himself to us in a book, which means that reading is really important for learning about God, right? Reading, something as ordinary as reading, is really important for coming to know God. And so that truth, that, that should impact our lives in many ways, but that has shaped the way that I preach, the way that we want preaching to be happening here at Mercy Hill Church. Let me just mention two ways it shapes us. One is that we want the preaching here at Mercy Hill Church to focus on the words of this book. So that these are the words we're focused on. You walk away thinking about what this book has said more than what the preacher has said. And then a second implication is we want our preaching to help you see for yourself the meaning of the words in this book. It's not that you're buying what I say, it's that you're seeing what God's word says. So reading is crucial, and that shapes how we preach. And I thought of that this week because this passage for this week is a tough passage to read and understand and to ponder. So let's dig into it. It's Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We want to bring you a copy of the very words of God this morning so you can look along with us. Matthew 7, 1 through 6, which is on page 812 in these Bibles. We're passing out. But I want us to dig into this text, and I'm going to share with you what I've discovered in this text, and then if we have time, I hope we will, to open it up for some questions, so you can raise some questions, say, yeah, how about this, or we can talk about it and wrestle with it together. And then in our home groups, we're going to be digging into it even more this week as well. So, Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Here's what Jesus taught us. This next section of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye. You hypocrites, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Okay, now, the first question that I ask myself in this passage, just right there in verse 1, is what does Jesus mean when he says, judge not? 
Right there, verse 1. He says, judge not that you be not judged. So what does he mean when he says, judge not? Is he saying that we shouldn't make any moral evaluations? Is that what he's saying? So let's just say, for example, there's a, a married man in your home group with a loving wife and wonderful kids, and he decides to leave his wife and his kids and moves in with a girlfriend. Because it's to say this has happened in your, in your home group. Now, Jesus would say to us, judge not. And what does he mean? Does he mean we just say, well, you know, we shouldn't make any moral judgments here, you know, we don't know, maybe that works for him, you know, is that what we're supposed to do? I don't think so. There's two reasons why I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. One reason is, in this passage itself, Jesus calls us to make moral judgments. For example, we're supposed to notice if a brother has a speck in his eye. Okay, we're supposed to notice that and seek to help him get the speck out of his eye. First, we yes, we take the log out of our own eye, but he wants us to notice. It's not like, hey, well, maybe that speck works for you. No, no, no. A speck in the eye is not a good thing. I wear contacts. It's very painful when I get a little piece. It's like, ah, I got it. Everything else gets to put on a hold as so I get that thing out of my eye, okay? So he wants us to make moral judgments. He talks about some people are dogs and pigs, And he wants us to make that discernment. He talks about false prophets in verse 15. We're supposed to be able to discern. So he's not saying don't make moral judgments. Because in this passage he calls us to make moral judgments. So what is he calling us to do? Here's the second reason. It's that this word judge that he uses has a broader meaning than just making moral judgments of what's right or wrong. And to see that, I want you to turn to Romans 14.10. Romans chapter 14. That's to your right. I didn't look up the page number. If you can find that in the Bibles, we passed out and just shout it out so those who are turning can find that. See, a crucial part of reading is understanding what the individual words mean. That's a crucial part. And one of the ways to figure out what a word means is to look at how it's used in other places in the New Testament. Pull out your Bible computer search program or your concordance, whatever it might be. And here in Romans 14.10, by the way, what page is that on in the Bibles we passed out? 948 in the Bibles we passed out. Thank you. But here in Romans 14.10, we can see the word judge not only means making moral judgments, which it does, but it also can mean making condemning and despising judgments. That's different. But look and see. I want you to see this for yourself in this passage. Romans 14.10, in that first sentence... Paul says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Now, those two words, pass judgment, it's one word in the Greek, same word as used, do not judge, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. So Paul is saying, why do you pass judgment on your brother? And we can see what that word can mean in the next line where he says, or you, why do you despise your brother? So passing judgment, that word judge, can mean not just making moral judgments of what's right or wrong, it can also mean making a despising judgment against somebody, a condemning judgment against somebody, where we're saying we are superior and they are inferior. So here where Paul says, why do you pass judgment? He doesn't mean throw out any standard in terms of what's right, what's wrong, give him counsel. Not, he's not saying that at all. He's saying don't despise your brother. Don't look down upon your brother. Don't think you're superior to your brother and your brother is inferior because of something your brother's doing. Okay, now with that in mind, let's go back to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. So the point I want you to see is that this word judge 
has a broader range of meaning than just making moral judgments about what's right or wrong. This word judge can also mean something different, where you make a condemning, a despising judgment against somebody. And that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. When he says judge not, what he means is don't make condemning and despising judgments against anyone. So what would that look like? Okay, let's take this man in your home group who left his wife and kids and has moved in with a girlfriend. Now, what should we do in that case? Okay, we know from the scriptures that what he's done is an outrageous wrong against his wife, against his kids. It's an outrageous wrong against God who created marriage and created him. So we should make that moral judgment. Okay? We should do that. That's called for all through the scriptures. But what Jesus does not want us to do is make a condemning, despising judgment against this brother, where we say to ourselves, what a terrible person. What a horrible person. I would never do that. That's an awful thing. And you're, you're feeling the sense of superiority, and you're feeling his inferiority before you. See, that's a despising judgment. That's a condemning judgment. And that's what Jesus tells us not to do. Do not make despising, condemning judgments against people. Now, what, I just try to think of a list. What are some of the clues that, that we could use to help us sense when we're moving from moral judgment into despising and condemning judgment? Here's a couple. I want you to think. Maybe you can give me some other ideas as well. Here's what I wrote down. If I'm feeling superior to him because of some wrong he's done, if I'm feeling superior, if I'm looking down on him, if I'm thinking I'm better than him, then I'm moving into condemning, despising judgment. If I say things like, I'd never do that. I've never, I've never left my wife. How could he do that? Those kinds of statements, I think I'm moving more into that condemning, despising judgment then. If I'm not weeping over him, if I'm not longing for him to repent and be restored, if it doesn't grieve me what he's done, I'm probably moving into condemning, despising judgment. And then if I feel pleasure thinking about what he's done, because it kind of lifts me up a little bit, or if it brings me pleasure to talk to other people about what he's done, because it kind of lifts our group up a little bit, that's moving into condemning and despising judgment. Does that make sense? Okay, now help us out here. What are some other clues that you think would be helpful to tell when you've moved from the moral judgment, this is wrong, which we are called to do, but when you've moved from that to the condemning, despising judgment, I'm better than him. What a jerk. What a horrible person this is. I'm, I'm, I'm superior to him. That's what he's telling us not to do. What are some other clues? Anything of any others? Yes. Kate. When you're not praying for him, you're not just pleading, Father, change his heart, help him. Exactly. So if you're not praying for him, that would be an indicator that you're just like enjoying. Strong word, but... Okay, what else? Hints. Yes, Josie. If you're a feeling of contempt, that is a good word. If you're feeling contemptuous towards him, definitely. What else? Okay, just clues that we can tell. Yeah, Chris. If you're not giving the same grace to them Oh, this is, yeah, okay, you're anticipating the next verse, which is right on the money. So you're not giving him the same grace you'd expect from God, okay? 
Other clues? So do you, do you have a feel for the difference? Those are different. Okay? Making a moral judgment, which we are called to do, is different from making the judgment of condemning somebody, despising somebody. Okay? Now, if we're honest, if you're honest with your own heart, I think you will see that we all have a tendency to make condemning, despising judgments. Okay? You do. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not condemning you for this. I'm just telling you, okay? You do. All right? And, and the reason is, is, I've just looked at my own heart, it's because even though we've been saved through trusting Christ and our sin nature has been broken, we still have indwelling sin in us. And a large part of that indwelling sin is called pride. And pride loves to find ways to feel superior. And so we're all wired in our sin nature to condemn and despise people who do wrong. And this is so dangerous because we are supposed to make the moral judgment. Right? We're supposed to make the moral judgment to say what's right, what's wrong. That helps people. But our pride loves us to make that when the pride can hijack that and have that become condemning and despising judgment. Right? So this is such an important point to to make that distinction. So it's hard to not do this because we're all kind of wired in our sin nature to do it. So it's really easy for us to fall into it, but Jesus says don't. And so I look at a passage like this and just say, Jesus, I need help. Can you give me some reasons that will motivate me? Can you give me some truth that will empower me? Because when you read a passage like this, don't just notice the commands. You want to look for the reasons that Jesus gives. So let's ask him, why must we not make condemning and despising judgments? And look at the reasons that he gives in verses 1 and 2. They're kind of shocking. He says, judge not that you be not judged. Whoa! For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. So Jesus says, if I let someone else's sin cause me to condemn and despise him or her, God will use the same standard with me. And he will have my sin cause him to condemn and despise me. This is shocking. This is very serious. You don't get any more serious warnings than this. Do you feel this? Let me put it a different way. See, this isn't hypothetical. This is truth for you and for me. If I respond to this man's sin with condemning and despising judgment, God will respond to my sin with condemning and despising judgment. I want you to feel the weightiness of this. Eternity is at stake here. Now that raises lots of questions in your mind about like the perseverance of the saints. That's a good thing. Questions are good. So let's press in and say, Jesus, why? Why would you say that if I respond to this man with condemning and despising judgment, then God will use the same standard with me and respond to my sin with condemning and despising judgment? Why? Verse 3, I found the answer. It's very helpful. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Here's here's what's going on. Every time 
you respond to somebody with condemning and despising judgment. Every time you do that, here's what's going on. You're noticing the speck in their eye, but you are not owning up to the log sticking out of your eye. Every time, that's what's going on. Every time you move into that, I wouldn't do that. What a horrible person. Every time you move into this superiority, inferiority thing, you're seeing his speck, you're blind to your log. Every time. Now, why? It's because if you saw your log and you saw the cross which paid for the log of your sin, you'd be so humbled at what you deserve and what Jesus did. You'd be so humbled you would not be able to respond to somebody with condemning and despising judgment. It would be psychologically impossible for you. You cannot live at the foot of the cross and condemn and despise anybody. You can't do it. Which means if you are doing it and persisting in it, it would show that you're not at the foot of the cross, you're not living at the foot of the cross, which would raise questions about whether you've ever been saved or not, which is why if you did persist in it, you'd be judged by God. You know, let's, let's just try this out. I, I want you to feel this. So let's just kind of walk through what does it mean to own up to the log in my own, my own eye? Because you know, you've got a log in your eye too, okay? All right? It's a matter of whether we own up to it or not. All right? So let's just start and just kind of walk through what, what's happened with you in your life so far. You were created by God, right? Okay, you're not here by accident. A God who's perfect goodness. He created you. Gave you life, gave you a body. Here you are on beautiful planet Earth. And he created you so you could have the joy of knowing him, trusting him, loving him. So that's true for you. And you, and you knew that purpose. You knew there was a God of perfect goodness. You knew all about this. And you've done what we've all done. You turned your back on him, even though you were just a little created being who owed everything to him. You said, I want to be in control. I want to take the credit. I want to call the shots. I want to earn my life. Thank you. No thanks, goodbye, turned your back on him. And that was an outrageous offense against the infinite glory of the universe, namely God himself. And God's just, and so therefore you have to be punished. So just get dialed into your heart. You, in yourself, because of your sin, justly deserved God's eternal punishment against you. It was just the angels would have said, yes, yes. Nobody would have raised a peep of protest about me or about you. But then, God so loves us that he made a way for you deserving that punishment to be forgiven. So there you are, you're deserving an eternity of punishment from God. And the Father sent his perfect son, Jesus Christ, to earth. Jesus was willing to come. And the Father had his son be scourged and had his son be nailed to the cross and poured out the punishment that you deserve upon his son, punished his son. Jesus loved us so much he was willing to do that. The father loved us so much he was willing to do that. And all of what you deserve was poured out upon Jesus. So just picture Jesus there on the cross. And instead of the wrath of God coming upon you, it's diverted and it's being poured out upon Jesus. Blameless, loving, God. Jesus is being punished in our place. And so the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. The weight of guilt lifts off. Your future, which was endless punishment justly from God, that's gone. 
Instead, you're born again, new nature, you're forgiven, God pours his love into your heart, and for all your future, God's rejoicing over you to do your good with all your heart and all your soul, and so because of the magnitude of our sin and the cross and our salvation, we live at the foot of the cross humbled. I'm a sinner, saved marvelously by grace. And can you just get a little feel when you're there at the cross? So let's just imagine, so you're living at the foot of the cross, you're humbled by your sin and humbled by the salvation, the wonderful love God showed you, and you see this man from your home group walking into Starbucks where you are. Now see, if you're humbly living at the foot of the cross, you'd say, what he did was wrong. Moral judgment. I care about him. There, but for the grace of God, go I. I'm not above that. Oh, Lord, help him. Help me love him now. Help me talk to him. There's no sense of, I never do that. What an idiot. I'm better than him. None of that. Moral judgment? Yes. Condemning and despising judgment? No. Because if you do that and you live in that, you're not at the foot of the cross. And if you persist in it and nothing changes, that shows you've never been at the foot of the cross, which is why you'll face God's judgment. Church, this is huge. We've got to hear Jesus' words here. Take them with the weightiness that he intended them. He might have spoken these words with tears in his eyes. Judge not so that you won't be judged. He's loving his disciples. He's loving on them as he's giving them these words. Disciples, don't move into condemning and despising judgment because if you do, you'll be judged. doesn't get more serious than that. So that's why we must not make condemning and despising judgments. Let me show you a quote from D.A. Carson from his commentary on Matthew. We'll put it on the screen, I think. Can we get that up there? Here's what he says. Thank you. The judgmental person, that's condemning and despising judgment, by not being forgiving and loving, testifies to his own arrogance and impenitence Impenitence, lack of repentance. Okay, so the judgmental person, by not being forgiving and loving, testifies to his own arrogance and impenitence by which he shuts himself out from God's forgiveness. That's why we don't want to judge in a despising, condemning way. Okay, so how should we respond to someone then, a brother in our home group, say, who is in sin? Jesus tells us, verses 4 and 5, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, first question is, why does Jesus say that he's got a speck and I've got a log? Is that how it always is? I think, I think there's two reasons why he does this. I think one reason, though, is... See, you always see all of your sin. You only see a little bit of his sin, right? I mean, I see all my attitudes. I see all my desires. I see all my thoughts. I, I, just, I see it all. So there's one person who's, where I see all of his sin. Moi, okay? You, I just see specks, okay? Maybe a, maybe a, maybe a bigger speck. But what I see in me, a log, all right? I think that's one reason why Jesus puts it this way. But a second reason, I think, is that he wants to make 
a, a powerful picture of the foolishness of hypocrisy. Okay? Here's the foolishness of hypocrisy. Picture somebody with a log. I'll just say it's me. Here, here I am with this log, like a telephone pole, sticking out of my eye. Okay? And I walk, to, walk up to you and I say, man, you know, just a second. Hang on, I got something here. You got a problem. You know, you, I see a little speck in that eye. You know, specks in your eye, that's going like, to cause you... Uh, it's going to cause you pain. Ah, oh, just a second. And something's wrong here. And you're not going to see very well. I can hardly even see that right now. So you've got a, a, a really big problem. Let me just get this out of the way. Let me help you with your speck. Do you, do you see kind of the the foolishness of hypocrisy? I don't think, do you see it? Okay, just make sure you see it. All right. So I think that's why Jesus. There's two reasons why he's saying we've got logs because we always see all of our sin, and because it makes a powerful picture. So what does he want us to do? Let's say that there's this brother in your home group. What does he want us to do? Two steps. First step is what? Take the log out of your eye. Okay, which I think means own up to your remaining sin, your indwelling sin. Own up to any unconfessed sin. Okay? And bring it to the Lord Jesus and repent and confess. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his cleansing. But start by acknowledging that you are a sinner saved by grace. Start there. This side of heaven, you've got indwelling sin. Be humbled by that. You've been forgiven through Jesus' blood poured out on the cross. Be humbled by that. Start by getting the log out of your own eye. Okay, we could talk a lot more about that, but it's a crucial step. We've talked about that a lot. So start there. Remove the log from your own eyes. Now, second step, help your brother with his speck. Do you see that Jesus wants us to help your brother with your speck? Okay, so we do make the moral judgment. That's a speck. That's a moral judgment. Okay, so he wants us to make the moral judgment of saying we want to help. Now, because you first dealt with the log in your own eye, you're going to be humbled. Okay? You're going to come to him as a fellow sinner saved by grace. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I am no better than this man. I am a sinner saved by grace like this man. And so you'll come with sympathy, rightly understood. There's never an excuse for what he's done. But you care, you love, you listen, you speak the truth. This was wrong. This was seriously wrong. Brother, you need to repent. Okay? So you need to speak the truth with grace, with tenderness, with gentleness, with boldness, with honesty, with clarity. You pray for him. You help him. Whatever it takes. Let me just share one of the ways I experienced this firsthand. I think some of you have heard this before, but it's been a while since I've used this story. I just love this story. Uh, years ago, when I was in seminary down in Southern California, I was at, on staff at a church down there. And I was leading the college career group. And I think I was kind of full of myself. And um, you know, I know I was. I was, I was full of myself. And, and I was like busy pastor, you know. And I was late for every meeting because I was just so, had so many important things to be done. And they can, anyway, yeah. So, a, a guy from the college crew group called me up one day and said, hey, I, I have to get together with you. I just have a, a concern I need to discuss. I said, oh, I'd be happy to come by and have you share your concern with me. And so, this guy was a carpenter. And I went to his house. I'll never forget it. We sat down at his kitchen table. He opened up his Bible and he started reading some Proverbs. And he said, I just have a concern that maybe there's something amiss in your life. Uh, that you're always showing up late to appointments and maybe, maybe you think your time's more important than other people. And maybe you don't see it. And the, the Lord's impressed upon me. I need to bring this to your attention. And, uh, oh, and he was so humble. He was so gracious and so direct and so clear. 
I was exposed and I was healed and I was changed, transformed me. So see, he removed the speck out of my eye. He was dealing with his own log and he helped me with my speck. And I try to do that. I try to, I try to change. So now Jesus, though, in this passage also knows that not everybody's going to be responsive to your help with their specks. Not everyone will be responsive. And that's the point of this next verse. What if someone is not willing to have me help them? You may have wondered what this next verse is all about. The best way to understand a verse is to read it in the context. Jesus says, do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Strong words from Jesus here. Now, like I said, the previous verse shows what this is all about. If you take the log out of your eye and you're humbled and you go to someone humbly, graciously, directly, clearly, boldly, uh, lovingly and seek to help them with the speck in their eye and they blow you off, if they persist in blowing you off, Jesus' point is you're off the hook then. Okay? You can let it go. At what point would you let them go? There's no formula, but... And God will give you wisdom. It's got to be a combination of like how intense the rejection is, how long the rejection lasts. We want to err on the side of mercy and love, but there does come a point in time when you say this would be pearls before swine. This would be giving dogs what is holy. And so I'm, I'm moving on. And so that's the point of this, of this verse here. So Jesus' main point is in this passage, how do we deal with a brother who's got a speck in his eye? His point is, do moral judgment, recognize that there's a speck. Don't fall into despising, condemning judgment, because if you let his sin cause you to despise and condemn him, God will use the same standard with you if you persist in that. So don't do that. Instead, remove the log out of your own eye first. Be humbled at the foot of the cross, and then you'll be able to see clearly and humbly and tenderly and directly to help him remove the speck out of his eye. If the person blows you off continually or consistently, then you're off the hook, you've fulfilled your responsibility, and you can move on. Okay, now, what questions does that raise? I didn't think of that question. That's a great question. And, and Jesus does say if a brother sins against you, but, but most commentators that I've looked at, and this makes sense, Jesus isn't saying this only applies when a brother sins against you, but it applies to sin in general in the body of Christ. So the Matthew 18 passage, um, and also 1 Corinthians 5 has an has a, has a issue. Of, this is church discipline we're talking about here, you know, where you'd go to them privately. So I think that we should follow Matthew 18 all the time. And I think we should follow this passage all the time. And they, they fit together well. I don't see any reason in the passage to pick or choose one or the other. So the first step is to get the log out of your own eye. Right? Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says the same thing. Be humbled. Deal with your own sin. Come to the foot of the cross. See that you're a sinner saved by grace. And then you go to him privately, Matthew 18, and, and seek to help with the speck. If he's part of the church... And if he blows you off, then there will be more steps because to help him see the error, the seriousness of what he's doing, he needs to understand that he, by his actions, is cutting himself out from the body of Christ and is going to face the ramifications of that, And which is why Matthew 18 has the further steps and 1 Corinthians 5 does as well. So I think we do both all the time. Well, if, if you go privately once and, and they, they blow you off and you bring another brother with you, right? And if they blow you off then too, then you, then you bring it to the church. 
And so the whole church has a demeanor of, we care about you, this is serious, you're cutting yourself off from the body of Christ, don't do that, eternity's at stake. And then if they continue blowing that off, then you just say, you know, we love you, we're praying for you, but it's all we can do at this point. Does that make sense? So there's lots of variables and situations, which is why we need Holy Spirit wisdom for this situation now. I mean, there are some principles that Matthew 18 lays out that we use all the time, but the Holy Spirit, there's variables that come up, and so we need to read the scriptures, we need to pray, get counsel, you know, guarding confidentiality, that's really important. And let me just share, you know, you're hearing us talk about Matthew 18, church discipline, you're thinking, oh, yikes, you know. Um, the whole goal of church discipline is to help an erring sister or brother see what they're doing so they're restored. That's the whole goal. Okay, read Matthew 18, you'll see. Okay. Now he uses the word brother in the passage, right? And in, and in Jesus' teaching, the word brother refers to believers. I, I think we talked about that. Um, so it certainly refers to believers. Okay, I'm, I'm, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm confident with that. Does this, and if, and if, if, a seeming believer persists in blatant, clear, arrogant refusal to repent, it would, it would cast doubt on whether that person's been saved or not. We don't know. Only God knows their heart. They may repent. We don't know. But, but then, they, then they move into the non-believing category then. Um, do we remove specks out of unbelievers' eyes? Uh, I think that's a huge case for Holy Spirit wisdom. Uh, we have bigger issues to talk with them about than particular specs, okay? And yet John the Baptist called out Herod on marrying his brother's wife. So I think that situation is a situation for Holy Spirit wisdom. I remember driving when I used to do work in real estate, and, and a, a good friend, a woman in my office, and we'd known each other for, for quite a while, which is it's important that you know that, but, but, but she asked me one day, she says, I'm living with my boyfriend, what does God think about that? Well, I, I tried to share in as gospel-centered a way as I could, and uh, it, it was deeply impacting on her. Um, so there's times, but that's we need we need Holy Spirit wisdom for those situations for sure. So read Philemon, and then I think you would it, that if a, if a brother is judging someone else in a condemning way, that's a speck in my brother's eye, right? So I need to remove the log from my own eye first. Go humbly, graciously, and, and help. I don't know if that answers all the dynamics, but Philemon is a powerful book because in Philemon, Paul is addressing there's a whole... You'll read it. I can't go into the whole story now. Okay, here's, here's, here's the conclusion. Uh, we all have a tendency to judge people in a condemning and a despising way. Uh, I've done it this past week. You've done it this past week. I'm almost certain you have. I don't know for sure because that's just... But I've seen my log, okay? And... The, the beautiful answer isn't to say, well, I've just got to really try hard, grit my teeth, I've got to just really be, th- what am I thinking? I'm thinking? The answer is, come to the foot of the cross. If you live at the foot of the cross, you won't be able to judge somebody in a condemning, despising way. It's simple. It's not easy to live at the foot of the cross. But it's not like you've got to track every thought down. Oh, there, oh, there. Live at the foot of the cross, and your heart will be changed, and you'll make the moral judgment but because you're so humbled by God's grace in your own life, you won't make the condemning and the despising judgment. So that's the key, living at the foot of the cross. Okay? Now let's stand together. So I want to call you.
don't judge in the moral, in, in the condemning, despising way. The way to do that, though, is by coming to the foot of the cross. So, Lord, I pray for us as a church body. I pray that this week, this would be like a, a turning over of a new leaf for many of us. And I, I, I feel like we're doing pretty well in this area, but I'm sure we could do much better. And so, Lord, I pray that you would so remove condemning and despising judgment from us that that would increase even more the love we have for each other in our home groups, the love we have for each other in our homes, the love that we display to people who don't yet know you, that the aroma of your love, your forgiveness, your tenderness, your gentleness would fill our hearts even more as we live at the foot of the cross. So I pray that you'd work this into us for the glory of your name. Thank you, Jesus, for teaching us. Thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.